Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Uh, Lord, we thank you today that we can come and open up your word and we ask and pray that Holy Spirit, you would come now because you have inspired this word to reveal to us uh, the wonder and the person of Jesus Christ and the impact he has upon our lives. Even here we see with Peter, Simon Peter, Lord, uh, this sense of sinfulness. Depart from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man, feeling guilt and shame and condemnation. But Lord, also you speak those powerful words, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid as you reveal your loving forgiveness and grace and acceptance into Peter's life. We ask and pray today, please open up our hearts to see this so that we too will see your grace, acceptance and forgiveness. Lord, we ask that now, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're picking up Luke's Gospel here as he writes to people. Uh, he's writing this to us. He's writing this to people down through the last few millennia. He's writing this to the people uh, of his day as well. And he's writing this to discover who Jesus is and what Jesus says. Uh, Luke writes to us to invite uh, people into faith for those who have yet to put their faith in Christ. And Luke also writes to us to grow our faith as well for those who are still trusting in Christ. It's a continual growing of faith all the time. Uh, For Jesus, it's a three-year period of intense ministry that he's in, uh, the Son of God we're talking about there. It's in his early days here as Jesus is teaching about God and calling his first disciples to himself here, which is what we see with this picture of Simon Peter and also James and John as well. Uh, Jesus is spending much time around the Sea of Galilee and we find him here speaking to large crowds uh, teaching about the Kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus' ministry was to the crowds, but also to the ones as well, wherever people were at in life. And it's here that we first come across Simon Peter, the fisherman, for the first time. And Peter will actually go on, Simon Peter, that is, will actually go on to play a major, major role in Jesus' kingdom as one of the original apostles who are sent forth to actually proclaim this life-changing, life-saving, glorious gospel. Uh, And it is a life-changing meeting here between uh, Peter and Jesus as well. Uh, Here's our big idea for today as we try and frame where we're going. It's this. A true glimpse of God reveals both our sinfulness and his grace of forgiveness and acceptance towards us. Really important to get that. A true glimpse of God reveals to us our sinfulness, that's the guilt and shame and condemnation of life, but also his grace of forgiveness and acceptance towards us. Um, With Peter here, there's an overwhelming sense of guilt that comes over him in this meeting with Jesus. We actually see that there in verse 8 when Peter replies with this, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, there's a real sense there that Peter's feeling a sense of guilt, a sense of condemnation, a weight here, of, of shame. But the question, I guess, is, well, how did Peter get to this point? How did he get to this point of feeling so guilty and ashamed of himself that he would say this to Jesus, depart from me, Jesus, I'm a sinful man? 
Well, let's retrace the story and discover why Luke has included this for us and why we get to this point and why it's so important for us as well. As we said before, Jesus is teaching along uh, the seashore here of the Sea of Galilee. The crowds are growing at this particular time and often when Jesus did preach, lots of crowds gathered to hear what he was saying and it's getting squeezy. They're sort of pushing Jesus closer and closer to the water. Now, a really good idea, there's a boat there, I might just push out to a boat and do that and that's exactly what he does. He sees these two boats by the side of the sea, hops in the boat and the boat pushes out a bit and gives him a bit of a buffer between him and the crowd and he goes on speaking from there. He uses the boat as a pulpit, you might say. I'm hoping someone held the boat and kept it fairly steady, but anyway, that's how Jesus did it. Uh, and he's finished his teaching. He's done that for, we don't know how long, but for a while. And this boat, though, happens to belong to Simon Peter, and he's a pro fisherman. He does fishing for a, for a business. That's his job. That's his day job. just happens to be Simon Peter's boat. But let me just say this, Jesus never just happens to do something. Jesus doesn't do anything by chance. Everything Jesus does has a plan and a purpose. And that's exactly what we're going to see here with Peter as well. Jesus finishes this speaking and he turns to Simon Peter and he's finished the talk. And in verse 4 he says, push out into the deep water and drop down your nets again, Simon. Simon replies in verse 5, Master, we've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. Now that's my sort of fishing, okay? Toiling, 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 catching nothing. I've been out with Chelsea a few times to go fishing. She seems to catch the fish and I'm about five metres up the river and I don't catch any fish at all. So that's my sort of fishing with, with Simon. But, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. But Simon, Peter, I think, if, sorry, if I, if I interchange between Simon and Peter, you know who I'm talking about, okay? It's either Simon or it's Peter and they're both the same person. It, in other words, Peter says this when he says, you know, Jesus, you don't get it. You don't get it, Jesus. We've been fishing all night. All night. We're exhausted. There's nothing here to catch. I've fished this lake for years. I'm a pro. This is what I do for a business. And today there's just nothing out here, Jesus, in the lake. Now, another reason they don't fish, and this is midday by the time Jesus asks this, another reason why they don't fish during the daytime is this. The fish actually can see where the nets are and they don't swim into the nets. They go around the nets. They fish at night where the fish can't see the nets and then they get caught by them. Peter's still thinking, you don't get it, Jesus. You, the preacher, are trying to tell me, the pro-fisherman, where and when I should fish. Now, just to help us understand that, that's probably a bit like me trying to tell Tiger Woods how to play golf. Wrong club, Tiger. You need the putter when you take off from the tee. Anybody get that? No, you need the driver when you take off from the tee, see? That's like me trying to tell... T- Jesus, who do you think you are? I'm the pro fisherman, not you. Peter's thinking, now this is crazy. This is crazy. We don't do this. It's midday, we're in full sun, and the fish can see clearly. They're not going to go into these nets. We didn't catch anything last night, and we're not going to catch anything now by dropping these nets over. This is crazy. Remarkably, though, remarkably, 
Peter, even though absolutely exhausted and having all these other thoughts, thinking, oh, this is crazy, he agrees to Jesus' dumb fishing suggestion, because it is a dumb fishing suggestion. Make no mistake about it. But as I said before, Jesus doesn't do anything by chance, and there's nothing dumb at all about what he's actually just suggested here to Peter. He's actually about to reveal himself to Peter through this next action. And in verses 6 and 7, we see the results of Jesus' advice. Their nets are filling fast as they drop these nets over the side of the boat in the midday sun. Hundreds of fish are piling up on top of each other in these nets. The nets are beginning to bulge. The catch is stretching these nets right out. The nets are beginning to break and the nets are beginning to snap. Simon calls out to his partner and says, Come in, spinner boys, this is payday. Bring your boat across, please. We want to fill this up. And they keep hauling these nets in. There's just more and more fish in these nets. And they're piling up. But now they've got another problem. The boats are sinking under the weight of this amazing catch. Now, Simon, along with his partners here, James and John, in verses 9 and 10, they're sort of gobsmacked by this because they've just worked out you don't fish in the midday sun, you fish at night when the nets actually can't be seen by the fish. They're saying, this is ridiculous, guys. This is Simon Peter talking to James and John. They're actually trying to work this out. This is ridiculous. We've never caught this much fish before. And no one catches fish in the middle of the day. Nobody does this. They're thinking, what the heck's going on? Who is this person? And Luke in verse 9 uses this word here, astonished. They're astonished by this catch of fish. They're dumbstruck by this catch of fish. This is just a simple, ordinary thing of catching fish, but in a very extraordinary way that Jesus is choosing to reveal himself here to Simon Peter and James and John. You see, for them, they get this. This is a supernatural act. It may seem simple as we read this, but when you actually understand the details of how you catch fish, it doesn't happen like this. They're seeing something here in the person of Jesus. And what they're seeing is this. Jesus has directed every fish to come in this net to be caught. They're getting a picture here that Jesus is the Lord of the seas. And might I say that Jesus is the Lord of the fish, directing the fish when fish aren't supposed to be caught at this particular time. And they're getting a picture now. This is no ordinary person who's just told us to do this. Peter realises actually he's in the presence of God through the person of Jesus Christ, just through this simple yet supernatural and profound action that has just taken place. Now we might ask ourselves, when Peter gets this realisation here of what's going on, well, how's he going to respond to this catch and the understanding of who he's with? Maybe in one sense it could be like this. He might be thinking, well, Jesus, you can be my business partner. If we're going to catch fish like this, uh, please, you can, be, you can be it. Imagine the profits we can make together, Jesus. And we can actually use it for your kingdom as well, Jesus. This is a win-win situation for both of us. Sometimes people think about Jesus like that or God like that. God, you just come on my side and we can do business together and it's all about that. 
how we can sort of, you know, butter up to Jesus and have a good relationship here. Did Peter respond like that? No, he didn't. He didn't call for Jesus to be his business partner. He actually has a total different response. Again, back to verse 8, we see it here. Peter said to him, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me, from a sinful man, O Lord. What did Peter see? Peter saw his guilt. Peter saw his shame. Peter saw his sinfulness while in the presence of Jesus here, understanding him to be God. Now that's a good response. Now in a sense you might say, you sure? I don't really want to feel guilty or shameful or perhaps condemned. Now that's a good response that Peter's got here. It's a real response. It's an honest response about life. You see, Peter has seen himself in the presence of a pure and holy and righteous God. He's seen who he is in comparison to who God is. It's an honest picture of himself here. And Peter would know from his Jewish background, he knows exactly who God is. He understands the holiness of God. He would know that God is pure, that God is righteous, that God is untouchable because of his holiness. And Peter, in his own life here, at this point in time, he would feel like a convicted criminal before God in his presence. Peter could look back over his life as he's standing there before Jesus, understanding that he's he's in the presence of God and actually thinking, all of the using and abusing of people that I've done in my life is rolling back before Peter's mind. Peter could think of the way that he's done the dirty on all sorts of people and double-crossed them. Peter could think back of the way he's trashed people's reputations by the gossip and backbiting he's done behind their backs. Peter could feel the shame and guilt for his life of selfishness, lack of love for God and lack of love for others and lack of care for others. See, Simon should have felt guilty. He should have felt guilty because he hadn't lived as God, his creator, had asked him and commanded him to live. He should have felt this way, and it's right. Do you ever feel guilty and ashamed? When you look back over your own life, do you ever feel guilt? Do you feel shame? Do you ever think about the things that you've done and then feel a weight of wrong? What do you think, or what do you think we feel this guilt? What do you think we feel this shame when we've done something wrong? It's actually God's moral compass that he's placed inside of every single person. It's a revelation of the holiness of God and ourselves sort of, as it were, coming together. And when we actually see ourselves in the sense of doing wrong... It's this warning signal that goes off inside of us. You've done something wrong. You've done something wrong. You've done something wrong. This feeling of guilt and feeling of shame comes over us. How do you deal with that shame and guilt? How do you deal with with that, I've done something wrong, and that feeling of guilt becomes to wash over us? How do you deal with that? Do you just go and watch a movie and just distract yourself for the next two hours and sort of dumb down your conscience until it's sort of, you know, the heat goes out of it? I think some people do that. I'll just go watch a movie and just totally distract myself for a couple of hours. 
Or do you tell yourself, well, it's okay to have a vengeful response or an angry response because of the way I was treated. I have every right to treat them back that way because they did something to me, so I'm going to just go back to them. And we justify ourselves in that. We, it's okay to feel that way because I'll, I'll get rid of my guilt and shame because they deserved what I said back to them. Sometimes we can deal with guilt and shame that way. We just try and fight fire with fire, as it were. You see, Peter saw himself here uh, with an open and honest look before a holy God. There were no excuses with him at this point in time. He didn't try to hide behind his broken actions and the brokenness of his life. Peter actually owned up to his guilt. Peter actually owned up to his sinfulness here. He didn't try and hide behind anything. He actually came open and honest about it. And really, that's the smartest thing that Peter could do at that moment. That was the smartest thing he could do. You see, if we try and run away from our guilt and shame, whether it's by watching a movie or just somehow justifying our actions or whatnot, we are the biggest loser when it comes to that. If we try and run away from it and not own up to our guilt and shame, we are the biggest loser when it comes to that. Because when we don't own up to our broken living, we're only fooling ourselves. We fool nobody else. Everybody else eventually can see through our fakeness and our falseness. We, we may put on the false mask that we're covering up this guilt and shame, but we're only fooling ourselves at the end of the day. So Peter has seen God here in the person of Jesus Christ. And in this revelation, in this revelation here, he feels this weight of guilt and shame because he's being honest about who he is, standing before Jesus. And the picture we get here, he's down on his knees. He's in the boat. He's open. He's honest. And he's made himself vulnerable here before Jesus. Well, how's Jesus going to respond to Peter? What's he going to do? What's he going to say? Peter is deserving of God's righteous judgment. Absolutely. Peter's declared himself guilty already. He said, hey, (coughs) depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Peter deserves the penalty for his sin. He's not trying to get away from it. In many respects, this is like an open and shut case. Just bring down the verdict, Jesus. Just pronounce the sentence. Just bring down the condemnation. Peter waits there on his knees probably for those condemning words. Yeah, Peter, yeah, that's exactly what you deserve. Instead, instead, Jesus offers Peter a word of grace and forgiveness instead of judgment. Look in verse 10 again. Last part of verse 10 says this. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Peter, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Yes, you deserve judgment because you are guilty, but do not be afraid. You might say, hang on, stop the press. Jesus, you said what? He just declared his guilt. He actually deserves the sentence. You say, don't be afraid? How goes that, Jesus? Well, Jesus is also revealing who God is. God is a loving, gracious, compassionate king. 
gloriously loving, gloriously compassionate. Beyond our comprehension, God takes no delight in the condemnation of the guilty. Look at what he says here in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. A beautiful passage. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? That's a picture there of the heart of God. He takes no pleasure in condemning the wicked, in the death of the wicked. This is what the Holy Spirit wants us to see today through Luke as he writes this for us. That Jesus says to the guilty, every single person sitting in this room, including the person standing up here, that Jesus says to the guilty, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of your guilt or your shame. Why? Because God offers forgiveness and healing for all our guilt, all our shame and all our condemnation for all of the sin that we've accumulated in our lives over the entire course of our life. Now that's astonishing. That's astonishing. Not one person sitting in this room deserves that. Not one person sitting in that room has earned that. Not one person in a million years could ever actually comply with that. That's astonishing that he declares the guilty innocent. How does he do that? Well, this is the story of Luke. Jesus comes to this world as the Son of God. Jesus comes to this world to live a perfect life. Nothing Simon Peter could ever do. Nothing Todd Hall could ever do. Nothing any person in this room could ever do. He lives that perfect life, yields that life up on a cross as payment as a sacrifice for all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our condemnation, all heaped onto Jesus, pays the full penalty of that sin, Jesus completely satisfies God's holy standards and good standards, God remains just by punishing sin, but he does it on Jesus, and then we actually get Jesus' righteousness in this supernatural transaction that takes place as we put our faith and our trust in who Jesus is and what he's done. That's astonishing. We never see that. We never actually see that in its completeness in our lives. But that's how Jesus can say that. Because now God accepts us as his children and then where where that's the case, there's no fear of condemnation. That's why Jesus can say to Peter, don't be afraid, Peter. I know what I'm doing. I'm taking all of your stuff, guilt, on myself. And Peter's actually experiencing that right here in the moment. Right here in the moment as actually Jesus says those words. There's like a spiritual transaction taking place. We can't describe how that is, but it's like the scales fall off Peter's eyes. It's like his mind is in darkness. He Now all of a sudden he can see who Jesus is. Peter's actually born again here in this instant. He's flooded with God's grace of forgiveness and acceptance at this point in time. But you see, the first step, the first step to receive that grace is simply coming before God with openness and honesty, just as Simon Peter has here with Jesus. Don't hide. Don't pretend. Don't make excuses. Don't blame everybody else. Just be open. Just be real. Just be honest. Own up to your sin. 
Own up to your guilt. Own up to your brokenness. And then God pours in his grace and his forgiveness. So we see now this picture here of that. And we see this picture of of Peter's response to Jesus' offer of grace. And I think this is really important to see here. It's a transaction of actually what we'll see is gospel transformation here in Peter's life. As he responds, as it were, to Jesus' words of don't be afraid. Have a look in verse 11 where we see this stunning picture. It says here... And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. A few simple words in a verse, you might think. But there's something really major taking place right here in this verse. Let's set the scene again. Peter has met the real Jesus and something incredible has happened on the inside of him at this particular time. And at the same time as Peter's in the boat meeting Jesus, he's got a boat brimming with fish, filled with fish. Fish that learned him a lot of money. A power of money. He's got a business here that's providing him a great job as he's sitting in the boat with Jesus. And Jesus has just said, uh, don't be afraid. Peter pulls this boat to shore. He ties it to the post. And then it says there, he leaves everything behind. He leaves everything behind. What did he leave behind? Because let's not underestimate what he means here by saying he left everything behind. The picture there is this. Peter walks away from the family business. Peter walks away from the security of a comfortable life, fishing the Sea of Galilee, providing the fish again and get caught. Peter walks away from all that. He leaves everything behind. Maybe he's walking away from a very disappointed father, thinking, well, hang on, you were supposed to take on this business. Peter left everything behind. So here's the deal. Peter has found something more beautiful, more powerful, more attractive in Christ than a career of wealth and security in this world through the fishing trade. He's found something way more valuable than that, a greater treasure than that. And Peter's actually made, as it were, a full surrender to Jesus. Actually, Jesus, I'm not coming half-hearted. I'm coming all the way. Absolute surrender. He left everything Behind, He walked away from everything. And here's what this means in this sense of surrendering all to Jesus. You see, when we come to Jesus, it isn't meant to be a half-hearted thing. We're not trying to just, you know, dip our toe in the water and just test and see whether this Jesus thing is going to work for my life or not, you know. It's a bit like, well, okay, Jesus, there's, there's five rooms in my life, okay? There's five rooms. I'll give you three. I'll give you three, Jesus, but I'm going to keep two back for myself. Two for me, three for you. I'll just see how you go, Jesus, for those three rooms, whether you can fix those rooms up in my life. If you can do okay there, if you can do okay with those rooms, well, maybe I'll give you these other rooms as well. But if you can't fix up those three rooms, I'm bringing it all back my way because I'll probably do a better job than you, Jesus. That's not how it works with Jesus. That's not how it works. You see, Simon Peter saw a different picture of who Jesus is here. In verse 5, he calls Jesus Master. Respectful title. But then actually in verse 8, he calls Jesus Lord. This is this transaction that's taken place here, which is now triggering, as it were, this full and complete and total surrender to Jesus Christ. It means this. Simon Peter saw Jesus as the sovereign ruler of all things. 
not just a, you know, help me Jesus when I'm in trouble and I'll put you in my back pocket and I'll just pull you out and give you a bit of a rub like a genie when I need some help. He didn't see Jesus like that. He actually sees Jesus as Lord who is worthy of surrendering all to this Jesus. That's who Jesus is. The Bible says he's the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Not somebody who has partial control or part of my life. See, it'll, it'll never do to try and have this control contest with Jesus in our lives. You know, this bit's mine, Jesus, and that bit's yours over there. You just get all, you know, the rough stuff and I'll keep some of the good stuff here. It just won't happen. You see, if, if it runs like that, we'll be trying to pull things back our way in this surrender before Jesus. Uh, we'll just make a mess of things. It'll be a catastrophe if we run our life like that. If we don't surrender to Jesus' control, and we'll always keep trying to take things back into our own hands. And what that'll mean will be like an aeroplane, as it were, in this holding pattern of brokenness, because we'll keep going back, making the same mistake over and over again. That's what happens. Much of our struggle in life is this. We get to the same hurdle of difficulty, the same old problem, the same old challenge, because we haven't fully surrendered this to Jesus this time. We get to that same hurdle again, and we just make the same mistake again, because we've actually tried to take back control. We're like an aeroplane in this holding pattern. And we just keep circling around the airport, but we're not actually going anywhere because we're still trying to take control of stuff in our lives. Peter saw Jesus as Lord, and that means total surrender, every part of who we are. Now, it's important to understand about this surrender as well that it's a journey that takes a lifetime and not a day. Now, Big commitment of Peter on the day, but it's actually a journey of continual surrender before who Jesus is. And here's the glorious thing when we actually make this surrender to Jesus. He's committed committed to completing this transformation of our lives. Um, have a look at this in Philippians 1.6. Picks this up beautifully for us. For I am sure of this, Peter says, uh, Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, this is the work of transformation, our surrender, who, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus starts it and Jesus completes it. He's actually with us all the way to be trusted to reshape our lives in total surrender before him. Without leaving one stone unturned, Jesus comes in and takes control. Now, surrendering isn't easy. No doubt it wasn't all that easy for Peter to walk away from the boat that day because he's looking back at all those fish there. It's not easy. It, it means letting go of the things that you think you need to give you safety and security and maybe support in life. Sometimes it means letting go of those things because you think they're the things that are ultimately giving you safety or security. And often this can be a default pattern with our thinking where we develop a false sense of security with these other things that we think they're providing us with comfort and security in life. And sometimes when we aren't willing to be open about those things, it's like, well, um, it's a way that protects us from the pain of having some of those false thinking patterns exposed in life. See, we may not want to have a conversation about what's broken in our life because we don't want to go through the pain. So we sort of submit back to this default thinking process of, no, I think if I just keep some things to myself here, this will actually help me 
be in control of my life and avoid the pain. It can become a, a default thinking process of not actually exposing what's really happening in our lives. And if we don't, aren't willing to be honest and open about these things, uh, we will never confront the issues that are actually causing this brokenness within us. But here's the glorious thing. If we actually are honest and open and do surrender ourselves to Christ and come clean about who we are and the troubling things in our lives, we actually discover, as we do this before Jesus, we discover these other things that we're trying to get our comfort and our safety and our security from, we actually see that they were broken, that they were never going to support us. But it's only when we actually let go of that and put our trust in Christ that we begin to see that. That's the step of faith that needs to be taken. Not easy to do because we build a whole life around broken thinking patterns and that supports us. So what does surrendering to Jesus look like in this sense? It means this. It means making a firm resolve or disciplined decision every day this way. To say no to sin, to say no to broken thinking, to say no to uh, faulty systems of support and saying yes to God. Every day it's, it's a surrender and I'm going to say it's more than daily, it's probably hourly where that potential problem comes back to us again. Do I default back to my own broken way of thinking or do I actually reset on God's way of living his truth and saying yes to God and no to sin? And as we see uh, Jesus, as we surrender to him, that's where we begin to actually feel that uh, victory in our life to overcome that broken and faulty thinking. Let's recap. Simon started his fishing job that day, or that night probably, because they fished at night, just like any other ordinary night. He toiled all night with exhaustion and he'd come up empty. He threw the net out time after time after time, got nothing. Simon Peter, later that day, met Jesus. Everything changed. Everything changed. Through a divine meeting with a holy God, Simon got honest, became real about his life, allowed exposure to come on. He made no more excuses. He didn't blame anybody else in his life. He came true. He admitted to his sinful brokenness and guilt and shame. Jesus didn't meet Simon with judgment. Jesus spoke a word of grace and forgiveness to Simon and set him free from the fear of guilt and condemnation and set him free from his broken way of living as well at the same time. And in transforming grace, how did Peter respond? He surrendered all to Christ. Not only that day, each and every other day following on from that. Jesus is still operating in that same gospel of grace today to set us free just like he set Peter free 2,000 years ago. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you now that we can come and uh, allow your word to uh, speak into our hearts. Father, we thank you today for the way you orchestrated for Jesus to meet Simon Peter. This did not happen by chance. Lord, you are working in his life. You are working to uh, reveal... Peter's brokenness, reveal, Lord, his flaws, reveal, Lord, his guilt and shame, painful as all that is. But, Lord, through those steps, you then brought through your grace and your forgiveness and your healing into Peter's life. Lord, I pray today, please help us to be honest, 
to be open, to be vulnerable, to stop trying to hide behind uh, masks and fakeness in our lives. To find the right people, Lord, we can open up with and share our life with. And the Lord, through that, we can be pointed to the healing grace that Jesus brings. And to hear those glorious, wonderful words that Jesus says, do not be afraid. We don't have to be afraid because of what Jesus has done for us. Help us to see that today and to be released from that, we pray. Lord, we ask that, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.